Hi, and welcome to POMCAST. POMCAST is sponsored by Pink Hazel this episode. Those who are tired of having all their knitting or crochet needles and other accessories all jumbled up should take a look at what Pink Hazel has to offer. Designed and handmade by Passionate Knitter, they offer eye-catching colours and patterns, as well as a very practical layout. The needle pouches, project bags and zippered bags are made of high-quality linen fabrics and are handcrafted with equal measures of love and skill. To see and learn more, go to www.pinkhazel.eu. And welcome to POMCAST, the podcast brought to you by Pom Pom Quarterly. I'm Lydia Gluck and I'm here for this episode number 30. Wow, 3 wow. How did we get there? The big 3 with Sophie Scott. Hi. Hello. So the podcast is now older than I am. Wow. And, and me. It's grown Let's up. Let's just take, well, it's grown up. We've grown up, have we? <laughs> what have we learned? Let's not think too much about that. We've learned how to start sentences so it's easier to edit things. That's true, we have learned that. <laughs> if we've learned anything. And what else have we learned? We've learned how many lovely people listen to this podcast. So, yeah, I think a little, not even a little, a big thank you. Yeah, to everybody who listens. And if you're new, that's fine too. Please come along. Yeah, and well, you can listen to all the old episodes if you choose to. They're hey. all there. And if you think, what are these guys going on about this fab magazine they keep talking about? That's Pom Pom Quarterly Magazine, which uh, this podcast is affiliated with. Indeed. Birth from, shall we yeah. say. <laughs> Well, That's a beautiful imagery to start the podcast. <laughs> um, yeah, so how are you doing, Soph? I'm good. It's uh, nearly Halloween. So we're taking that theme and we're running with it for this podcast. We certainly are. We have commissioned some special spooky music, which oh, yeah. you may be acquainted with by now. Um, when I sent Eli the text, I sent through all the emojis of like, um, you know, jack-o'-lantern and spooky uh, ghost, yep. things like that. So to really get the message across, I kind of gave him a, a, like a mood board, you uh -huh. know, like... Yeah. An emoji mood board. But anyway, also coming up, as well as uh, the theme, there's going to be a vague Halloween theme running through. We've got our normal things of uh, news and reviews, tell and tell. We tell you guys what we've been doing. And we've got an interview with Rachel Matthews, who is a, uh, a knitter, a textile artist, and she's just written a book called The Mindfulness of Knitting. So She certainly has. So Soph went along and met her. She's lovely. Very interesting, that. Lots of uh, nice knitting chats. Uh, what would, would you... Oh. <laughs> what would you do? What would you do? do? <laughs> That's the Halloween version or the Halloween accent that I've developed for saying that particular thing, which is also known as What Would Juju Do? So, where we ask our knitting guru, Juju, uh, your questions, we bring your questions, or you send us your questions, then we take them to Juju. That's the format. And uh, if you've listened to last month's episode, then you will be already familiar with Juju. Um, she's been on a couple of times before as well. Yeah. One time she was me. Yes. <laughs> she did a good job. Check out the back catalogue for more. Indeedy. Uh, yeah. So last of all, we have... Revolutionary. We don't have top three. So don't stop listening, guys. It's okay. We have we have something else instead. So we asked you guys to send in some Halloween spooky knitting stories. And oh boy, did you guys deliver. <laughs> Very excited to read those. We might even have a guest speaker, shall we say. We might. We might. Will we? Yes. <laughs> But on to news. Lydia, I hear Pom Pom was at that little festival Rhinebeck. I heard that too. Yeah. Yes, I was there. <laughs> yeah, so... Were you? Uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> so um, the weekend before last was the uh, New York 
Sheep and Wool Festival, which is in Rhinebeck and is colloquially referred to as Rhinebeck Sheep and Wool Festival, or just Rhinebeck, for basically everybody who doesn't live in that area, I suppose. Yeah. Um, it's a lot of fun. It's at the Dutchess County Fairgrounds. Um, and the fairgrounds themselves, like, was kind of amazing. Um, it's, like, just a lot of space for fun, outdoor, family-based activities. The pictures I've seen are a lot of trees, a lot of amazing trees. Like, if someone, mm-hmm. you know, you stock photo image of autumn trees, oh boy, do they deliver. Yeah, and I've got to apologise to any uh, North Americans who I scoffed at when they told me that, you know, the autumn in that part of the world, the kind of East Coast and, and, and Canada as well on that on the East Coast, that the autumn there is you know spectacular and special and different from everywhere else i always used to be like yeah yeah we've got autumn too you know little old old island we've you know because everyone's always like oh lemonade's better in america and i'm like it's just different okay because england is like america's like lame little (laughs) sister you know you're just like no we can be cool too millhouse (laughs) yeah we're millhouse and america is but anyway turns out they were right. The trees are amazing. They go the colour. They go colours I have never seen trees go in That's this country. Glorious. It was unbelievable. It wasn't as the tree. The leaves hadn't turned as much as they normally do. I think because it was unseasonably warm. Yeah. But yeah, the show itself was wonderful. We had lots of signings from mm-hmm. uh, all sorts of well, no, all designers, all designers, but from various issues of the magazine, including the newest one, which was released at Rhinebeck. Um, so we had designers who were featured in there. We had Kiyomi and Chico Bergen. We had Julia Fowl Clay, and we had designers from previous issues. So Bristol Ivy came along. Uh, her Rhinebeck sweater was my favourite. I've got to say. Oh, I did see some Instagram photos, but if people hadn't seen it, what was that like? It was kind of uh, well, it was Fair Isle or sort of stranded yoke. Mm. Uh, and I think it was knit in, it was definitely a fibre company yarn, maybe fibre company Cumbria. Anyway, it, the colours were very beautiful. It was kind of a, a like orangey colour and there were greens and ah, it was very oh. seasonal. Genius. Autumnal. Genius. So Rhinebeck. Big hit. Big hit. <laughs> and maybe we should also add, issue 19 was exclusively previewed there. Certainly was. Not exclusive anymore, because you guys can check it out as well. Indeed. So yeah, so we did our uh, pre-release of the new winter issue, new which winter. we're very excited about. And lots of people picked it up at Rhinebeck, but those of you who are subscribers, your magazines are winging their way. Yeah, they're through the ether of the post office right now. Certainly are. Hand-packaged with love. That is if you're listening soon after the recording of this. This disclaimer of time. Yes. Time may or may not have passed. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, um, yeah, so it's out and about now. Um, And hopefully you've seen the previews. And if not, what have you been doing? Check out, get on a computer, get on Ravelry. Look at the pictures, guys. It's looking pretty great. Um, Oh, let's do a little bit more news before we move on Uh to more about issue 19. Uh, We also had the Yarn movie screening, which we talked about last podcast. Oh, yes. Super fun. Um, Did you enjoy it? I did. I was mute. Yes. (laughs) I did have laryngitis, what we think was laryngitis, because there was no no talking from you. No, I lost my voice for over a week, which is definitely the longest that I've ever lost my voice for. What a relief. And yeah, everyone else was (laughs) like, thank you. God, she's quiet. But no, it's because we work as a duo. And the thing is, I kept waiting for you to like pick up the slack of my next question or like, you know, like 
to bounce off with me for the next thing. And I look at you and like, yeah, no voice, no voice. I know. So, so to be clear, we um, after the screening of the movie, which was wonderful, uh, I think I was one of the only people eating popcorn. By the way, I was like, yay, movie screening, and everyone else was sat there quietly. And I was a like, lot of people <laughs> knitting as well, which was great. Because remember, the yeah. screening was uh, knit friendly with low level lighting. It was ideal. Mm. So then afterwards, we spoke to. Uh, two of the people behind the f- movie um, but I of course couldn't do speaking so I was on sound monitoring yep. and thumbs up duty yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh you filled that one perfectly oh. yeah um, so if you get to see the we highly recommend seeing the film it's mm-hmm. all about yeah, yarn as a, as, a, as a medium and how mm-hmm. different artists and creatives use that in their practice to sort of uh, yeah express themselves express their art yeah no it was great and um yeah so we've got this interview mm-hmm. which we expect will be released as a mini extra episode yeah so keep your eye on uh, our various social media forums and we'll keep you up to date with that indeedy last Fu- bit of news yeah future news oslo knitting festival it's really soon yeah i think we uh, spoke about this last podcast we definitely did because i checked the notes mm-hmm. but more information. Um, yeah, we're really excited to be there for the first time because also Knitting Festival is only in its second year. Oh, Yeah, so um, we're doing some live podcasting because Dana Waller will be there. And also we'll be at the Marketplace uh, with, you know, mags and samples from issue 19 mm-hmm. and other pom-pom publications. Indeedy. And we're hosting the quiz on a Saturday night. We certainly are. So any of you who are going to be there, definitely come by and say hello to us. We'll mm-hmm. be on the stand uh, or interviewing Diana yeah. in one of those two places, probably. Um, yeah, so we look forward yeah. to meeting some pomcats. Be nice to uh, Scandinavian and otherwise uh, contingent of the knitting world. Indeed, yeah, it'll be our first time in that in that uh, neck of the woods with the mag. Yeah. So we look forward to seeing that. And on the same weekend, if you're not in Oslo, of course, yeah, gosh, you busy, aren't we? Yeah. might be <laughs> at Yarnporium, uh, which is in London. Um, yeah, so you can expect similar sorts of things. Uh from that one there'll be magazines samples friendly people to talk to um and possibly some exciting signings more on that soon indeedy but if you like people who knit then you yeah you're like this indeed yeah so there's lots of great uh vendors and london's just like a groovy place to hang out oh i think it's i find myself being groovy around there quite often me too i'm hoping to be groovy in oslo too but i don't know how the groove goes there we'll we'll report back on this we will um you can go to uh our website well done and you can go to pompomag.com forward slash podcast and for each episode we put our show notes there with links and pictures sometimes they're funny pictures sometimes they're pretty pictures they're not normally both of those things are they pretty (laughs) funny funny um yes and you can also of course follow the like pom pom mag instagram account and twitter account for news and info excellent i love them great so let's talk more about issue 19 because i'm pretty damn excited about it can i say damn on the podcast (laughs) Sure, sure. <laughs> it's, the, it's the Halloween podcast, anything goes. <laughs> so, what are your faves? Well, uh, as we discussed before, mm-hmm. I'm not allowed to choose favourites. Of course, no, I mean, yes. Within the context of... Uh... <laughs> of I love them all. Yes. Um, well, the one I am going to make first from the most recent issue, issue 19, is Cesium, oh. which is a jumper designed by Sachiko Bergen. And this is kind of like an icy blue cabled number, right? It is indeed, knit in uh, Green Mountain Spinnery's Mountain Mohair. So I bought the yarn for it 
at Rhinebeck. Because oh. Green Mountain Spinnery were there. So I, in the like three minutes of time I had away from the stand, I raced over there. I'd already looked at the colours online, did my research. Oh yes, you have to at these things. And I've forgotten the name of the colour I bought, of course, but it's a sort of purpley colour because Lydia is fully immersed in purple now, having gone from hating purple... I now have a purple fringe and all the yarn I've bought in the last few months is purple. I only want to see you knitting with those purple skeins, remember? <laughs> yeah, that obviously had like a really deep effect in my brain. Yeah, subliminal. <laughs> um, so, yes, that's my first on the two knit list. Nice, good choice. And also the Vanishing Point mittens. Very cute, yeah. Because they are awesome. And also they're a great project to use up skein. Or like, you know, you've got one skein of double knitting. Need some mittens. You're like, what am I going to do with this? Could be hat, could be mitts gonna be mitts all right i'm completely infatuated head over heels with mom which is a coat by linda dubeck and as a general rule i mean i don't think i'm being too uh, judgmental if i have a general rule that coats and skirts knitted i kind of keep away from well it's i guess with coats often you know first of all that's a lot of knitting right most of the time you just think not gonna manage that and also the amount of fabric like heavy fabric mm. it takes to make a coat you know, you're worried that it might not keep its shape, for example. Sure. I mean, you know, skirts for the same reason. Yeah. You're going to make a knitted tube. I mean, if that's going over your hips and your bum, it's eventually going to not look like a tube anymore. That's the only thing I'm thinking. <laughs> but, 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 this, but yeah. I've seen the light and this coat is so friggin' amazing. And it's like moss stitch, so you know that you're going to have the structure. It's going to keep yep. its shape. Knitting this super cool, like chunky, is it Briggs and Little uh-huh. yarn? Yeah. So, you know, time factor you know you yeah. cut that in half and just a really ke- clever construction it's very elegant in the saddle shoulder shaping mm-hmm. on the arms and uh the shoulders even yeah and it's got pockets so beautiful contrast inside pockets oh. and a lovely seam down the back it's got everything i you know i'm excited about this coat i gotta say it's one of those things that because every now and then this might happen to you if you happen to be wearing a coat that's wool mm-hmm like, Megan had a coat that was this amazing yellow... I know the one, yeah. ...Zara coat. Um, and people always asked her if she'd knitted it. And she was mm. like, no. It's but weaving. This, <laughs> but, like, but the, but Mom, it's so beautifully done and finished. I mean, like, you know, I'd like to think, like, a lot of the things from Pom Pom that yeah. people wouldn't necessarily know. Not that things being handmade is a negative, but... Yeah, yeah, no, I know what you mean. But, yeah. you know, you people are like oh, you made that yeah i think this coat has an extra factor of that because oh, wow knitting your own coat feels like a step up from your regular mm. jumper knitting yeah so i'm excited about that <clears throat> whether i make it or not is another thing so again it's still a pretty com- big commitment but pretty pretty excited mm-hmm. and also palindrome which is the cover star it's a beautiful mohair wrap oh exciting we should talk about the theme the theme is reflections it was indeed yeah so we asked our designers and other contributors mm-hmm. um so katie green and anna maltz and Bristol Ivy, we asked them to think about the theme of reflections. And when we initially uh, decided on that theme, we were thinking of it slightly more literally, I suppose, like actual reflections in water, but more specifically maybe in rippling water. Oh, um, glass. With, yeah, reflection in a mirror or like a refraction of light, that kind of thing. Um, but it kind of turned into the, you know, the more... Um, metaphorical use of reflection reflecting upon oneself and one's life or the world for example the end of the year you know we'll have the new year soon thinking about these things indeed yeah and i think um well i think it came together really beautifully i think well we're we're biased as well we are of course but but we hope that you guys are enjoying it if you have it uh pre-order on the website actually pre-order 
Get, just get it now. Order. Yeah. Just, just order it. <laughs> Pompommag.com. Let's talk about what we've been knitting. Let's do that. Lydia, knitting, what have you been? (laughs) Knitting, you have been. Yes. Yes, I have been knitting. So I finished my Rocaine jumper knit in Viola's Morsberg DK. Was this what you call your Rhinebeck jumper? Because I've heard of this. People wear a cool jumper to Rhinebeck. Yippity yip. Was that you? Yep. I finished it just in time, but it wasn't quite dry when I had to leave. So I had it in my suitcase, damp. Had to get it back out at the other end. It was actually absolutely fine. Oh, really? Yeah. (laughs) Everything else in the suitcase was damp. but No, no, I put it in a plastic bag. Come on. It didn't just like... Oh, didn't like it... No, it was fine. It was fine. Mm. It was only in there for like 12 hours. No, it was fine. (laughs) Sophie, it was fine. It's okay. Don't need to be scared. Even though it's Halloween. (laughs) Getting disproportionately affected by damp wool. (laughs) Anyway, that was probably an unnecessary part of the story, but it was dry in time for Rhinebeck. It was a Rhinebeck miracle. Also, my voice came back in time for Rhinebeck. There we go. Also a Rhinebeck miracle. Yeah. Um, And I had the pleasure of going to visit Emily Foden, the dyer, behind uh, Viola Yarns in Moorsburg. And I got to wear my Moorsburg DK jumper there. Nice. If you have a little looky on the show notes, there may or may not be a picture of me wearing it there. But there may. <laughs> but most likely, yes. Yes. <laughs> um, anyway, so I finished that. Um, the other knitting I've been doing has been slightly haphazard. I think I started lots of projects at the same time, many of which I have not yet finished. For example, Rombiel, mm-hmm. uh, Tannins, mm-hmm. both not uh, finished yet. And I've had to do one of those reconsiderations of projects. Maybe I hadn't got the gauge quite right. You know, I thought I, the swatch was right and turns out the fabric isn't quite, you know, what I would like. So with Rombiel, for example, I have made, I've, I've made half of it. Like I've made the whole front. Uh, and I've made the difficult decision that I should rip it out and make it with a larger needle size. Wow. So yesterday I ripped it out. Okay. How are you feeling? Good. Because... Yeah. I, it's Because it's a chunkier jumper, it's not as big a decision as it would be for something with finer yarn. But I, you know, I just made that... After years and years of knitting, you just kind of learn it's better to just make the jumper you actually want rather than finishing a jumper oh, man. and then just having a jumper that you aren't going to wear, basically. Or that you have to give to someone else, which is nice. It's nice to give yeah. things, you know, but... If you're making something with yourself in mind, it's always nice to have that conclusion. Yes, exactly. So that's that. Uh, and I've also been finishing off a colourwork hat that I started about three years ago. Oh, yeah. Okay. pattern. Okay, so when yeah. you, okay, so Lydia's just been knitting his hat while we were setting up, and I was like, I'm sure you already have a hat like that, but I realise I've seen you starting that hat, and that's why they recognise the colours. Yep. So, uh, yeah. Hey, I think, no shame. No, no, not at all. And I've also got big plans for all sorts of other things coming up, but it's all a bit, you know, up in the air, should we say. How about you? Um, Like an autumn leaf. Drifting, drifting, the air. slowly, twirling to the mulch. <laughs> an autumnal footstep. What? I don't know. <laughs> you had such a good faraway look in your eyes, though. Um, anyway. what am I? Knit- oh, so last podcast, I said I'm going to make some take heart hats for a wedding gift, and I'm going to knit them in four days. Can I? Yes. 
<laughs> Will I be blocking them in the sink in the B&B the night before? Yes. yes. Will I be hair drying them on the morning of the wedding? Yes. <laughs> but I got them done. Actually, they were a tiny bit damp when I put them in the oh, gift bag. Oh, miss. No, but the thing is, I freaked out. The person I was staying with, who obviously had to, you know, I went to uni with, so has borne the brunt of my project-based stress. <laughs> So it talked me down from being like, it's okay if they go in the, th- the bag a little bit damp. They're going to be opening them in like 12 hours. It's like, 12 hours? That's not... Oh, I see. So you have your own stresses and you just put them on me. just like, oh, I don't want to give them a damp hat. <laughs> <laughs> Happy wedding, here's a damp hat. Yeah, you damp hats. <laughs> That's what I think you love. Anyway, the wedding was glorious. And I just, oh, I cried. I did a reading at the wedding, I actually. Know, I was going to say. That went well. Uh, that sounds just sarcastic, but I know that actually. No, it, it actually went well. Yeah. Her uncle came and was like, I heard you were the back. Well done. And I was like, Yes. All right, side note. But take heart hat went well and uh, so well received. Because you know, if you make something for someone else, like I know her, but I don't know the groom that well. They mm. have to choose colours. And anyway, I got a little selfie from them wearing their hats, looking very excited. Aww. And then the other week, my friend sent a picture of me wearing a hat, of her wearing a hat, not me wearing a hat, <laughs> and uh, saying, like, Oh, it's the hat's first outing. And, you know, the warm, fuzzy feeling that knitwear gives you. All those feels all in one go. That's such a nice wedding gift. Well, thanks. (laughs) I I just am quietly approving. Thanks. So, yeah, you can speed knit this hat. And that's good. Moving on to reviews. We've been sent some gorgeous products by Pink Hazel. We have. So Pink Hazel is uh, sponsoring this episode. And Pink Hazel makes excellent... Needle storage. Indeed. And hook storage. Oh, yes. Travel storage. Put your travel. storages. So uh, Pink Hazel is uh, Annette Wall, who's based in the Netherlands, and she's she's a knitter. She knows what the knitters need. Uh-huh. They need accessibility. Mm-hmm. They need organisation. Mm-hmm. And they want it all in good quality, beautiful bags. Yeah, they want, like, fun colours, mm-hmm. a variety of colours, different yeah. fabrics, uh, different kinds of pouches for different kinds of equipment. Because we have loads of different... There's loads of, like, random stuff you need for doing knitting that you don't know about until you get really, really into it. Yeah. I and it ends up all over your bedroom, if you're me. I always send to people, like, oh, yeah, if you want to draw, you just need pen and paper. But then one day you might think, I want a ruler. I want a different colour pen. And that's how I feel about... A tractor? Yeah. That's how I feel about knitting supplies. Mm. Like, I just need wool and needles. Yeah. And that's... You can be a knitter with that. Yeah. But isn't it fun when you can have haberdashery? <laughs> Yeah, well, I think um, we first came across Pink Hazel's stuff at, would have been Unravel. Unravel. Yeah. Yeah, and we were all very, very taken uh, with her, just because the quality, you know, they're so beautifully made and all the fabric she uses are lovely and kind of sturdy, but, you know, not not too stiff. Yeah, it's like a nice linen, so you have a nice mm. texture of the, the quality of the fabric, but again, not too thick, not too thin. Yeah. Uh, yeah, one of the things I really like, you can tell the care and attention that she's put into maybe where the placing of the pattern is. You yeah. know, you get like a little detail of the motif um, on the, the print that she's mm-hmm. used. Attention to detail with things like that really makes a product, you know, something that's been made with love. You can sense that. Definitely. Yeah. So um, I have one of her uh, circular needle cases mm-hmm. because I do. I have um, an interchangeable needle set, right. which came with its own case, which is perfectly adequate. But I have a lot of fixed circular needles, which I also love uh, because also you need doubles of all the needle sizes. Well, or yes. I do. Yes. <laughs> I'm always making too many things. <laughs> um, and up until I got my lovely uh, needle case, um, my needles were all in a drawer 
and it was very difficult to find them what? and they tangled quite a lot. And what can you do? What, how can you solve this problem, Lydia? Well, you get a knitting needle case. Yeah, yeah. And they fit in so beautifully and it's very satisfying. Excellent. Well, personally, I found that I was always travelling around and I just needed to, somewhere to keep everything together. I'm nodding. Pink Hazel provided me with this little travel case. Like, what, what do you put in it? So I've got uh, a crochet hook for picking up things that drop. Nice. Uh, I've got some little scissors, mm-hmm. uh, little like darning things, you mm-hmm. know, like my little like darning needles and stuff. And it's, mm-hmm. it's small. It's like thinner than, what's that, A5? Maybe smaller than that? Yeah. Um, so it's quite like narrow little rectangle. And it's got like a nice little flat bit which um, with a little magnetic closure, which opens up so you can slot things in like your needles, uh, your crochet hooks. Mm-hmm. And it has a zippered size. So usually I cram that full with like washi tape and maybe cable needles and stuff, whatever I'm traveling with at the time. Mm-hmm. And it's got a nice little key ring side on it so I can attach things. Oh. I think it's perfectly charming. Excellent. So I think probably uh, both of us would give the, uh, five out of five. Yeah, two thumbs up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Four thumbs because we, we, <laughs> all together we have four thumbs, right? That's true, between yes. the two of us. Um, yeah, so we have very much enjoyed her lovely various storage. Oh yeah, because we should say there's also, so there's crochet hook. She does all sorts of kind of um, types of storage. There are crochet hook organisers, there are double pointed needle organisers, all sorts of things like that. And project bags, you know, your sort of more usual, you know, storage for a project as you're working on Mm -hmm. it. So if this all sounds of interest to you... Why wouldn't it? Why wouldn't it? We highly recommend you check out uh, pinkhazel.eu. But we will also be doing a little giveaway. Hey, hey. Hey. We love the giveaways. And we know you guys do too. So if you are listening to this podcast within the space of now, (laughs) you can go on the Pom Pom website, as we said before, pompommag.com forward slash podcast, and find the show notes and find out how to enter. And you could win... A pink hazel needle roll. You certainly could. And, you know, we reckon that's a really good prize. What could be better than one prize, though? Two prizes! Hey, because there are two prizes up for grabs for this podcast. So, as we mentioned at the beginning, we're interviewing uh, Rachel Matthews, mm-hmm. and who's just written a book, The Mindfulness in Knitting. And we've got a copy, a signed copy, nonetheless, up for grabs, too. So, we, yeah, head over to the website and enter. Yeah. Well, what could be better than an interview with Rachel Matthews to follow up that? Very good, since we just mentioned her. Oh, yeah. Uh, Just a small disclaimer um, about background noise in this interview, because it was recorded in a cafe, um, a charming cafe nonetheless, but there's a little bit of tinkling in the background, as one would expect. Mm -hmm. Uh, Also, it was near a train station, so (laughs) sometimes a little bit of train noise, but that's quite nice and atmospheric. Mm -hmm. Uh, Also, Rachel's baby joined us, who's six months old, perfectly charming, so there's a little bit of baby squeakage, (laughs) just if you wonder what that noise is which Eli did when we kept editing. It's like, what is that noise? I can't, I can't get rid of that noise. I'm like, it's a baby, Eli. It's fine. Uh, so if you do have any fears about those things, uh, just be aware. <laughs> so today finds me in autumnal corner of Bethnal Green and uh, I'm joined by Rachel Matthews. Morning. Morning, how are you? I'm very well. So for people who don't know your work, Mm. you're sort of a jack of all trades, you're a designer, you're a teacher, you're a shop owner, you're a craftivist, you're an exhibition kind of curator, 
how, how would you describe your role in the woolly world and how did you find it, your sort of place? I work with textiles and that is such a huge subject. That's why I've not been able to sit still. I've moved through all these different aspects of it. Um, but the way I arrived at it was really just where I was born because I was born in the Lake District. And textiles up there, you really need it because it's cold and it's wet. And... But also I was sort of surrounded by sheep farming and weaving Beatrix Potter was a massive influence up there, obviously. (laughs) Beatrix Potter was very Um, pro-textiles. But then I always had this burning desire to move to London and do fashion um, or be an artist. I was never really sure. So when I moved to London as a student to go to textile college at St Martin's, textiles seemed very different to what I imagined. I thought I was coming to London into... I thought everyone would be punks. I thought everyone would be making their own clothes, <laughs> just like we did in the Lake District because yeah. we were bored. Um, and when it wasn't like that, it left me with lots of questions as to what I wanted to do. Um, so that's when I sort of discovered activism, um, that's where I started wanting to work with people more and that's where I was questioning college because there wasn't an awful lot about the spiritual side of textiles Mm -hmm. or um, the material side of textiles it was very much about training us to work for industry and designing for big brands and stuff like that so I'm still in this position now I've never quite settled into one thing I have all these different issues with textiles (laughs) Do you mean, I'm sorry, issues as in like the way you the problems you have with it or like trying to find solutions or the issues as in this is your thing that you do (laughs) yes oh bit of everything really um I get very upset about disposable fashion in the high street you know all these issues that people are um worried about and then the countryside and uh, whether about I mean a lot of my work has been about promoting British yarns and farmers but for myself um, different ways of working. I sometimes sometimes I'll be working with textiles in a very public way. Sometimes I like to do it very quietly at home. Sometimes I do quick projects. Sometimes I want a real long burner of a project. But I haven't ever found one thing that I've repeated over and over again. Yeah. <laughs> if that answers your question. Yeah. So I was going to ask you about Cast Off, which was sort of a public knitting group that you formed, which is possibly one of the, the first things you did after university, or yeah. like quite soon after uni? I'd done a few things, because mm-hmm. um, I, I was a printmaker first, but uh, Cast Off happened because I had friends that knitted, mm-hmm. primarily my friend Amy Plant. And that was a time when, so internet was just starting, yeah. we'd just got our first home computers, I think I probably got my first email address for setting up. Hey, very cool, yeah. (laughs) Um, I like the context this is putting this in. Yes, it it helps now, sort of 10, 15 years on, to remember what was really happening. Um, London was full of the YBAs, the Young British Artists, Mm. and Tate Modern had just opened. So art was really big and slick and cool. And knitting, I was doing it in nightclubs because I was playing records a lot in that time. And so was my friend Amy. And people were just really interested. The craft wasn't... It wasn't a thing that everybody did in nightclubs. Um, (laughs) And so we'd get asked a lot of questions and we just found the whole answering the questions hilarious because to us, knitting seemed so normal. So that was all it took for us. And then suddenly we realised that there was... You know, certain things that you weren't allowed to do in public places, like flash mobbing was very popular then, yeah. and people meeting to do silent discos, you know, all those um, 
sort of addressing different ways that you could have fun in public and knitting fit perfectly into that because it's so portable mm. so all those social aspects of knitting all came together and I thought I've got to stick with this yeah. for a while and why do you think people embraced it so much? it was free yeah. <laughs> I think in a time when you had to be so cool moving to London <laughs> you know, keeping up those slick appearances yeah. were, were difficult um, and knitting suddenly reminded everyone that actually they came from a place where they'd seen some knitting before yeah. and it was alright to say yeah, I grew up in a vegetarian household or a, yeah. Um, yeah, I wore those sandals when I was a kid um, so yeah, everyone just brought their childhood experiences to the group and some people brought their mums along to the group yeah. and that was that was a thing that didn't really happen in yeah. trendy circles before so I, I, when you're putting it in the context of 10-15 years ago mm. and I hate to use this phrase that everyone sort of uses but mm. like it's a resurgent, yes. resurgence of knitting or like oh it's back again yes. what, do you think it was do you think it was part of that I mean you know, as a knitter as a textile people yeah. we know it never really went away yes. but there was sort of a, uh, a reimagining of that, yeah. that how do you feel about it, oh, that was in. definitely the thing and at the time we really courted that mm-hmm. like we pushed it big time we would get in trouble on purpose just to get ourselves in the newspapers yeah. just to say knitting is <laughs> alright like what, what kind of trouble um, we got it, we got kicked out of the Savoy for knitting yeah. I think and, I read about yeah, that yeah. and that got in the tabloids and, and we knew we knew what we were doing yeah. I mean we knew we were causing trouble because we were drinking free cocktails with these vouchers that we'd collected and there was a lot of us but, I mean, everyone was dressed up and everyone was being well-behaved and mm. interacting with all the guests. But we knew we knew it was easy to write about. Yeah. It was so terribly exciting because we could form it. It's like one newspaper would ask to come and meet us mm-hmm. and so we'd take them to a different place that yeah. they hadn't read about before. And at the same time, lots of people were asking us to come and knit at their meetings. So... Like once we went to a multicultural yoghurt festival. Right, of course. Don't know how that started, <laughs> but we were able to take one of the newspapers there yeah. and then one paper reads about that and then the next time we take them to a gig somewhere. Mm-hmm. But because everything was always um, changing and we were moving around so much, it just meant that we could prove that knitting was cool in all of these places, yeah, yeah. like in absolutely everywhere, from churches to gigs to art galleries. Um, so, yeah, it was... I mean, it was sort of like... I sort of feel like lots of ghosts made it happen or something. Yeah. I feel like lots of dead knitters got together there and went, come on, There was a positive force somewhere, yes. staring it all up. <laughs> let's have a rush on this. Yeah. I think nowadays... Um, I think it is more common that you think there's how many more knitting shops in London Mm. and just in the UK in general. Mm. So what do you... How do you see the knitting scene now? Because you were saying, like, cool to come to London. Like, how do you feel it's evolved now? I think it's really stable, and I think it's here to stay. And I don't worry about it anymore. Yeah, you don't don't think I'm champion it (laughs) so much. I don't have to... I don't have to (laughs) encourage anybody. Um, And London is really accepting of knitting and all other crafts yes, as well yeah, true. Um, the whole thing has come together really nicely and I think knitting's played a really big part mm. in that um, and I think it's cross generational Yeah. but there's still a really long way to go because the government's still axing all of the creative things in schools and yeah, and I just the, read about the soft yeah. subjects like but A-level, you know, A-level, A-level history of art. is gone. Yeah. yeah, all the so many weaving courses in yeah. higher education have gone. Yeah. So, like on a world scale, it's still really serious. 
Um, but what I love about the knitting is that the knitters are not going to be put off by that, are they? They'll just keep teaching people and yeah, they'll yeah. keep rolling up their sleeves and they'll keep doing it. Exactly. Um, yeah. So um, I want to talk about some of your past work, which is one of the ways I found out about uh, your yeah. projects, which was the knitted wedding you yes. did with Freddie Robbins. Yes. And your book, Knitorama, which yes. was, people don't know, you had like grenades and earmuffs made of like uh, yeah. fried eggs. Yes. There's a lot of fun in your work. Yes. Was that important to you and how does that it was inform it? At that time, um, it was fun because we were having so much fun. Yeah. And it was like, how much fun can we have? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the knitted wedding was really bonkers. That was part of a, a much more serious show called Ceremony, which Freddie was curating, mm-hmm. and it was all about rites of passage and textiles. Um, and so I suggested doing a knitted wedding because the gallery was also licensed to do weddings. Mm-hmm. And Freddie had recently got married and had a very quiet wedding. And I think she was willing to be our bride. Yeah. And then once that happened, it made the whole thing such a knitted scene. And people sent, I sent invitations out all around the world mm-hmm. with knitting patterns in, and stuff just kept coming. Yeah. I mean, in the final weeks, the post was amazing. Yeah. Huge parcels, piles of them. There was like cameras and bouquets. Yes, and... candles, sandwiches, endless flowers. Um, and then we did a really job of good job of exhibiting that by putting the names on every single thing that was yeah. sent in Wonderful. and filming it and yeah I think that was one of the busiest biggest projects yeah. I've ever done so um, although there's a lot of fun in your work it's one yeah. of the more serious side of your uh, role in the knitting world yeah. was your shop Prick Your yes. Finger which was a very important like landmark uh, for a Thank knitting you. shop um, people who you know don't know it haven't visited it. Uh, what was important and special about Prick Your Finger? Um, for me, it started out of necessity because when I was doing my books, Nitorama and Hookerama, I would get sent yarns from yarn companies that obviously wanted the stuff featured, yeah. and I'd smell it, and it would all smell the same. It had this sort of very nice yeah, yeah. generic smell of. Um, some sort of finish and I mean it was all so soft and so beautiful mm. but it wasn't what I remembered fibres to be from when I was young yeah. and it wasn't I didn't know where they'd come from so and also I wanted a space where textile artists could experiment because again the art world didn't have that experimental thing it mm. was becoming a much bigger industry so um, when we found the space um, it just started very small and also I'd learnt to hand spin and I started selling that and I realised I could sell that for quite good money because people were really seduced by this handmade quality in a yarn and not always understanding how why that was so nice. So all of those things together plus teaching, it became a place that promoted the yarns and promoted maybe a different way of teaching knitting as well. Mm. I've, I've done a teacher training and I was just really interested in the different ways that people learn things. Yeah. Um, and then having a gallery window space with people experimenting meant yeah. that people could meet each other yeah. and then work together. That was really important. Yeah, we uh, had Tom of Holland on the podcast recently uh, and he yes. said how he'd met you and did the, no- the glove uh, yes. exhibition. That yes. was like a really nice little link with you guys. It was a good start for yeah. him, yeah. yes. So yes, it had. I mean, we had so many artists come through Pretty Finger. Mm. I've lost count now. We yeah. were doing like 
10 exhibitions a year or something. Fantastic. Um, and we did, I mean, now British yarn industry is so full and confident that it, can't, it couldn't stock everyone. Yeah. Whereas in the beginning, we were looking around yeah. <laughs> for who to stock. Um, so that's, that's really good. That, yeah. was, that was nice to see. Oh, yeah, so I wanted to talk more. We sort of just mentioned about Tom of Holland, you sort of mm. working with him, and you said about the exhibitions and uh, uh, collaborations you did with artists and yes. communities. What's been some of the more memorable ones or some of your favourites? Um, oh, that's a lovely question. Um, my UFO project for the Jerwood mm. in 2009 is an ongoing thing. Yeah. Um, it's a huge problem, that unfinished Wait, we, we're all. Yeah. I think everyone listening will be <laughs> nodding. Everybody yeah. understanding, um, and that was really great because when I first did it as an exhibition, um, all sorts of people joined in. But now it's just um, there's still stuff coming in from time to time, and some people still going in it. So Celia Pym found mm. a lovely way of working through those because I would get some really quite odd UFOs from the hospice where people had cast on from the last time right. and sort of trying to remember how to knit something but it just it doesn't really it's not recognisable yeah. as a garment. And Celia had just done her nursing Degree. Yeah, I did a class with her recently. Oh, yeah, she's wonderful. Okay. Yeah, hopefully, getting her on the podcast I in a couple do. of weeks. She'd, yeah. she'd be very she's good hoot, value. Yeah. <laughs> but the way that she dealt with some of those pieces was really touching. And yeah. I could sort of see, I was sort of gathering UFOs, hoping that she would do them. And then I could see her struggle with them over weeks sometimes, mm. just have them hanging on her wall. What do you mean, sort of emotionally or the, the just, technicality yes, of making it? Like what to do? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like how to solve this problem? Yeah. Amy Tugger-Holroyd is another artist that sort of had a lovely ongoing thing with, with and her work really fitted in with the UFO project because she's about re-knitting. Yeah. Um, her PhD was in re-knitting garments and she did some workshops at Pretty Finger and, um, and an exhibition. So yeah, I've been, I've been really fortunate. I've learned an awful lot from the people that have come to, yeah. to work in the, with the to exhibit in the shop. Um, so maybe ex- if people don't aren't familiar with the unfinished object project, maybe yes. so you, people send uh, you their yes. finished things, yeah. unfinished, unfinished things. Unfinished things. Yeah. Yes, hopefully with a story attached, because yes. the stories are always hilarious, and the stories sometimes they can dictate how things something is finished. Um, but sometimes the story, I mean, there's no hope. Sometimes, yeah. sometimes you just have to be really radical. I mean, Amy just finished one where I did a talk about our UFO collection. And a lady in the audience donated a piece that she'd been trying to knit an orange chenille backwing jumper mm-hmm. um, <laughs> because she was on a on a board of trustees or a, a boardroom of some sort, and she was the only woman. And for some reason, she thought that this would be like a bit of power dressing. Oh yeah, this yeah. Thing like the bigger the wing, the more power, <laughs> yes, right? Yeah, exactly. Bigger the sleeve. Yeah, and, but it was such a problematic piece of. I mean, the chenille was just difficult. Yeah. You know? And then so Amy took that one on, and she actually managed to turn it into an eagle. Fantastic. And, uh, and it's a beautiful piece. From bat wing to eagle. Yes. It's the evolution of the. Yes, and it's got claws, and it's just. It's really nice. It was from that Thatcherite era as well. And right. So this was a relic. I was going to say, when you said yes. Batwing and Chenille, it did put it in a context of time, yes. knitting-wise. Yes, so. you know that yeah. look. <laughs> yeah. But she transformed it into sort of a, an exhibition piece almost, yeah? yeah? It can hang on the wall. Fantastic. Yes. 
So this, I mean, the exhibition of UFOs, unfinished objects, it's a little long way off yet. I think we're going to need a lot of them to make a good exhibition yeah. because when you put all these things together, it, it's an odd exhibition. You can't quite see how it all hangs together because mm. it's just a lot of very different stories leading in. But slowly and surely it's kind of forming everything that could possibly go wrong in knitting. That's, that's interesting. That's the end point of the exhibition. I like the, the sort of the, the meta thing though, the unfinished object exhibition. It's not finished yet, we're still working yes, on it. It's true, isn't it? We're not there yet. <laughs> it takes a long time. You get to the anyway, like, oh, you finish it off, you know? Yes. <laughs> yes, it's true. Fantastic. All right, so let's talk about your book, which is yes. uh, Mindfulness and Knitting. Yes. Uh, which is a wonderful kind of, it's like a collection of thoughts. The way it's written, it's sort of you jump about in lots of different subjects and. Uh, ideas of colour and the sort yeah. of the history and how mindfulness, how you can think about knitting in, in a way. I found it so yes. lovely to read. Oh, good. And I was, I was trying to rush and finish it this week and I said, yeah. like, actually, no, I'm doing the opposite of what the book yes, should tell me. Yeah. Need to rush. <laughs> so I haven't finished it yet. But one yeah. of the nice things about it, I sort of, I keep dipping in and out. Yes. Um, was that the way you wanted people yeah. to read the book? So definitely. I mean, the book is part of a series of books on mindfulness. Mm-hmm. So um, it was. I was fortunate to be able to write it in this context because they just Leaping Hair Press give you the chapters. They say five okay. chapters would be good. Yeah. Try and split your chapters into these different parts. So it made it a lot easier to structure for me. Mm-hmm. And I think that's how the book is designed as a dipping in right. thing. But then I've tried to do it from beginning and end as well. Um, but it's it's made up of all the conversations that I've had yeah. over all these years. Or I've tried, I mean, it'd be impossible to put down every thought, but um, I sort of felt, running prick your finger, that I just was learning so much from people and discovering so much in my own practice that if I didn't write it down, there wouldn't be any point to what I was doing. I'd just be storing it all inside me. So it's been a real lovely release to write this. Um, But yes, how to split up those conversations into different parts. I could have written books on so many different subjects, but I was really fortunate that I got this commission for doing mindfulness because that just softens everything and helped me, yeah. I've read about your sort of talking about knitting and yoga as well. Yes. I'm sort of interested in that. Is it something that you you've always wanted to do? Is yes. that this connection? So. I mean, I, I've been studying mindfulness and yoga for a long time because I needed to do it in order to do the work that I've done. I mean, every knitting knows that knitting is quite painful when you do a lot of it. I mean, the physicality. The of physicality. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I just really needed those stretches, and then actually building the shop was hard work. Like. Mm. And you've been there, it's all built out of scrap and um, new yarn rangers would come in and I'd have to put another shelf up yeah, or yeah. build another cabinet. I mean, it was a very physical job doing prick your mm. finger. So learning to medica- meditate was, it was very important for me running mm. the business. Um, and, then, and, I, and then, of course, that was all happening in my knitting. So it was really nice to try and get that down on paper and how to sort of take it out of my own head and put it onto paper and imagine somebody else reading it. Because I'm, I'm sure that my experience of mindfulness in knitting is different from everybody else's. Yeah. We're all so different. Yeah. One of the things I really like about the book is the exercises. Yeah. So as well as the, the writing within the book, different chapters of the subjects to think about. Um, you have little exercises where you're asking people to 
look at their knitting or to make swatches and think about how they feel about these swatches. Um, how did you sort of, what, were your, what was your thought process of why you wanted that in the book? Um, well, Leaping Hair Press like to have, have exercises in their books if mm-hmm. they can, just because I think it takes the reader out of what they're reading yeah. as well and reapplies it back to the subject. Yeah. But also the exercises were nice for me because... Um, partly things that I couldn't really do in my normal teaching job. Mm. So I teach on BA Textiles at right. St Martin's. Yes, of course, yeah. And um, I mean, teaching in the university is very structured. Yeah. Um, but um, I'd love to just be able to just ask the students to sit for half an hour with a ball of wool in their hands and breathe. Nice, <laughs> I mean, yeah. You, you can't do that, <laughs> and the students would probably hate me for asking them to do it as well. Um, but yes, they're sort of... They're things that I tell people to do, sort of, um, and I don't think anybody in the classes ever would, but I think when you're in the comfort of your own home, mm. you might be able to. And also, some of the exercises are fantasy for me, too, things right. that I would love to be able to do every day, but I can't because I run a business and yeah. do a million things, um, and maybe just do them when I'm on holiday or... If people want to keep in touch with what you do and... While Put Your Finger is Asleep, I'm waiting to resurface somewhere else. I've got a new website, Rachel Matthews, and mm-hmm. I've got an extra A in the end of Rachel. Yes, the French way. That's how my middle is name is. That's my middle name is ah, Rachel. Ah, you're like... Rachel. We're... Because yeah. <laughs> EL, EL is a Bible translator's error. We're the real one, and it's Hebrew for sheep. Oh, I didn't know yes, that. we are Hebrew for little that, lamb. That makes my yes, day. Yes, it's good, <laughs> it? I never knew that. I thought it was oh, French. Oh. That's why I always said, oh, it's the French way. Yes, yes, well, that too. There we go. Yeah, yeah. That is wonderful. It's nice, isn't it? <laughs> That's okay. I didn't look at Yes, so I've got a new website, rachelmatthews.co.uk, um, and I'm going to, I'm just sort of blogging new projects on there and, and doing little links, because I'm doing sort of work, workshops in mindfulness and talks in places and... Yeah. Yes. Wonderful. There'll All right. be new things coming soon. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for meeting with me. Thank you, so thank you. This episode of POMCAST is also sponsored by Green Mountain Spinnery. The Green Mountain Spinnery is a worker-owned cooperative located in southeastern Vermont. Since their founding in 1981, their goals have remained unchanged to create yarns of the highest quality, to help sustain regional sheep farming and to develop environmentally sound ways to process natural fibres. All the fibres they use, alpaca, mohair, wool and organic cotton, are grown in the United States and they make every effort to purchase directly from the individual growers. Unlike most commercial mills, the spinnery uses no chemicals to bleach, moth-proof or shrink-proof their yarns, and they are proud to be one of the only organic yarn manufacturers in the US. Thanks Green Mountain Spinnery for sponsoring this podcast. Thank you to Rachel for such a lovely chat. Yeah, thank you so much Rachel for meeting up with Soph. Sorry I couldn't join you guys, but it was... Lovely to hear all about her and her work. Yep, and so it's The Mindfulness of Knitting. And a reminder again, we have a book to give away, signed by Rachel, and also the Pink Hazel Needle Roll. Such kind fun. A bumper uh, giveaway there. Super bumper. <laughs> right, so now we have What Would You Do Do? What, what Would You Do? Um, in which we take your craft-related queries to craft guru Juju Vale. Uh, in this recording, Juju is referring to Sissy, who she spoke to, yeah, spoke to in a disconnected way, <laughs> about her question. So if you're wondering who she's talking to, she's talking to her about our friend Sissy 
from last recording of What Did You Did, which is in podcast number 29. Yeah. What would Juju do? That's a question I find myself being asked Const- no, I'm constantly. <laughs> what, you like those crowds of people going, Sophie, Sophie, what would you do? And I get on my, I get my little recording equipment, pop it in my little bag, and I trot over to Juju's house and I bang on the door, I ring the bells, and say, the people need to know Juju, what would you do? So who's got in touch? We've got Marjorie Woodbury, and she says she's recently made Pearl Soho's little baby sweater. And it turned out pretty well. There's a photo, I'd say it's Oh, it's really sweet. Really? I just want to squeeze the baby that's going to fit in that. <laughs> baby not included, unfortunately. And she says, very modestly, she says, I generally think it will be usable. I think it's more than that. It's wonderful. Yeah. However, she had a problem with the gauge. Uh, the pattern is in garter stitch, and the instructions called, uh, called out the stitch gauge, not the row gauge. On a recent stockinette project, I worked, uh, it worked out for me to adjust my stitches, but not the rows. So I naively thought I should do the same thing here. Turns out I was totally wrong, because the sweater worked up narrow and elongated. While the proportions are not catastrophic, I'm wondering the following. So here's the question, you ready? Mm -hmm. If the sweater is too long, is it possible to take out the cast on edge, and in this case the waistline slash bottom of the sweater, unravel the necessary number of rows, and cast off upside down, as it were? Juju, what what would you do? Well, uh, this is similar to Cece's question. Um, so w- this is just a little side note. So you can you can follow my instructions that I gave to Cece. However, I suspect Marjorie, and I love your name, mm-hmm. did you know, podcast folks, that Marjorie used to be my name? A <laughs> <laughs> long time ago. Anyway, um, the, 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 I suspect you might not have wet blocked your sample uh, to gauge before you began this project. And I think what you'll find is if you wet block the sweater and pull it widthwise, it will make up the right width and it'll shrink on the length and look exactly as, as intended. However, I think it's you don't need to wet block it because the baby will do that kind of for you. It will get washed, but also it'll fit on the baby. The baby's chubby little body will stretch it out widthwise, and you'll see that it'll shrink up lengthwise, and I think it will just be perfect. In any case, a slightly longer baby sweater is probably quite useful as the baby will grow, and you'll want it to cover that dimension. Fantastic. Um, one of the interesting things I'm wondering, she mentions as well, saying... The pattern didn't call for a row oh, gauge. Yes. What would you, and just as yeah. a side note, yeah. what would you, what would you do? Well, a lot of patterns don't call for row gauge because it's less important often to make row gauge than it is to make stitch gauge, uh, as often the row lengths are given in, in, in uh, centimetres or inches instead of rows. But with garter stitch, designers assume that your stitch shape is going to be square. But in fact, what that means is that you will have uh, one stitch for every two garter stitch rows. But how we count garter stitch rows is usually in ridges. So even though it's two rows, we think of it as one garter stitch ridge. And you should have wet blocked your swatch, probably, until it made up a square. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Well, thank you, Marjorie. Um, Thanks for getting in touch. And you don't mean me. I don't mean you, no. (laughs) Even though I am a Marjorie. Yeah. Sometimes. <laughs> to very few people. Yeah. <laughs> that, and that's what Juju would do. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
for this special spooky Halloween Ooh. episode of Pomcast, which is also the 30th episode, as we mentioned. It's very exciting. scary that we've done that many episodes. It sure is. We have um, a very exciting voice actor that we've shipped in <laughs> <laughs> to read some of your spooky Halloween knitting stories. So uh, you won't know the voice of this voice actor, but you will know his name. It's Eli. <laughs> Eli, producer. We thought, who's terrifying? Eli. So uh, thanks for everyone who sent in their um, horror stories. Sorry we couldn't feature them all, but here's a selection of ones that tickled us or scared us. <laughs> so this first one is from Tunat Jordan uh, from South Africa. Hi, Pomcats. Not too long ago, during my urban mermaid phase, my love of both knitting and long hair caused me much trouble. I was knitting a sticky mohair scarf. The yarn was grippy, and before I noticed, I had knit a long strand of my own hair into my scarf. Nothing to do but cut it free. I also used to struggle with loose hairs getting caught in my knitting until my recent haircut freed my hair and my knitting from this grossness. Needless to say, most of my gifted knits created during this time contain some of my hair in the fabric, like a knitted voodoo doll of sorts. Luckily, I only gift hand knits to loved ones. Ooh, voodoo knitting! Voodoo knitting! Thanks, Tonnette. That's pretty scary. All right, the next one we've got is from Natalie. Oh god, it's just getting spookier by the minute. What's next? A few years ago, when I was a bit of a knitting novice, though I think I probably am still one of those, I decided to knit a jumper for my boyfriend for Christmas. I'd never knitted a jumper before, so this was something of an ambitious project. After finishing the front of the jumper, I'd realized I'd knitted a bit too tightly, so it had come out smaller than expected. I decided to compensate by knitting the back wider, because in my head that made sense. I hadn't really thought about the fact that the sleeves needed to fit the sides. Unfortunately, the back then came out much bigger than I had anticipated. It had taken me so long and Christmas was so close that rather than start over, I made the jumper up anyway. The end result was what my dad refers to as the zombie jumper. Since the seams... <laughs> Quiet, you. Since the seams and sleeves are on the front of the jumper rather than at the sides, he claimed you'd have to wear it with your arms out in front of you. Like a zombie. Oh, terrifying! Oh, that was uh, screams of fear, not giggles. Yeah, yeah not laughter. You heard in the background there. <laughs> oh, God, we've got what? I don't know. How about, are, you, are you right, Lydia? You're getting a bit too scared. Oh, we've got one last scary knitting story, and uh, this is from Ashley. And the the uh, title, the subject line alone put fear in my heart. There's nothing scarier shoulder pads. Hello, Lydia and Sophie. I listened to your recent podcast and wanted to share my terrifying knitting situation with you. I knitted Donna Kay's Lovebird sweater for months, knitting it in the sides to fit my bust. The sweater is stitched bottom up and I kept trying it on, paranoid that my huge bust line was going to ruin things for me. The bust is usually the hardest part for me to fit, so once I got past that, I breathed a sigh of relief and continued on. Little did I know, the terrifyingly awful fit awaited me at the top of the shoulders. 
I did a lovely neat bind off and then I tried to sweat her on to discover that, oh crap, I looked like Hulk wearing a pretty sweater. The shoulders stuck out like a 1980s power suit stuffed with shoulder pads. Maybe it's supposed to fit like that, offered my knitting friends as they forced a smile. I didn't even know where to begin if I ripped back. Desperate, I cut into the sweater. Yes, the scissors, the horror, removing part of the sleeve cap and creating a new seam with a serger. It's not nearly as neat and lovely as the original, but at least I don't have to look like a wrestler anymore. Terrifying and hilarious. <laughs> Terrifyingly hilarious that was. Thank you, Ashley. I like the image of both Frankenstein wearing a jumper specially made so that his arms can go in front and yeah. also of the Hulk wearing a pretty jumper. Uh, we also have to say a special thank you to Ashley, who is a crafty blogger who featured us on a list of uh, podcasts of favourite knitting podcasters. So yeah, thanks, thanks Ashley. Ashley. Check that out on the crafty website. Anyway, back to being scared. Ah! <laughs> So thank you to Eli, who not only creates the brilliant music and specially created the spooky music for this episode, but also is, well, I mean, he should really be a professional voice actor. Oh, yeah, I thought it was a hoot. <laughs> I mean, scary. Um, it was uh, terrifying. Um, and thanks again to everybody who wrote in and sent us your spooky stories. Sorry, we couldn't include them all. Um, but we love hearing your fun stories. So even if we don't have a special call out for them, if you just think of a thing and you think, Sophie and Lydia would like to hear about yeah, this, yeah. then we would. Yes, we love that very much. So mm-hmm. you send them to podcast at pompommag.com. Indeed. Um, so I guess it just remains to say happy birthday to us. We are 30 now. Yes. <laughs> wow. Thanks for coming along with this little audio knitting ride with us. Indeed. Yeah. Thank you for listening. Yep. Well, good night. Sweet dreams. <laughs> and happy knitting. And good luck. With what? Just good night and good luck. It's a thing. Bye! <laughs> Pomcast is produced by Lydia Ghost and Sophie Spook, with lots of help from Eli Brains Block, who created the original music for this show. For more Eli-related music, you can go to goodgirlandthebadtimes.com. Thanks as always to Megan Frankenstein Fernandez, co-creator and editor of Pom Pom Quarterly, and to Amy Creepy Collins and the lovely Ghostly Gale. <laughs> Ghoulie Gale. Uh, thanks to our interviewee, Rachel Matthews, and of course, a big thank you to all you pom-pom buyers, subscribers, and listeners. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe. Why not leave a review? You can say it's frighteningly good. <laughs> Send any feedback or ideas to podcast at pompommag.com. And don't forget to keep in touch with us via the podcast group on the Pom Pom Ravelry Forum. <laughs>